All right, well, we're in Mark chapter uh, 8, and uh, 34 to 38 will kind of be our primary text. And so we'll just read that together before we begin. Uh, Calling the crowd, along with the disciples, he said to them, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. For what does it benefit someone to gain the whole world and yet lose his life? What can anyone give in exchange for his life? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. We have an up. A really challenging passage of scripture before us this morning, and I don't know about you, but every time I read this, it makes me shudder a little bit, even though I'm, I'm a believer. <laughs> but there's things in here that are very challenging for us today, and, uh, you know, are gonna, are, are difficult for us to wrestle with, because it's not the direction of our hearts to be like this. So, let's look at this, you know. I mean, it's an amazing statement that Jesus gives here, but we need to understand the context of what he's saying, and so, For that, we need to understand just a few verses before it. We're not going to dwell on it, but I want to give the context here because it's very important to our understanding of this passage. And so, as we see Jesus says, he says he calls the crowd along with his disciples. You know, he was in Caesarea Philippi when this was going on, and it was a very busy place in the ancient times. It still is today for tourists. It was actually uh, a lot of, it was a Roman city, and there was a lot, it was a city that Herod had dedicated to the emperor's son. And there was at least five major temples there to Roman uh, Roman deities and Roman worship going on. It was an extremely busy place, very religious in nature, all kinds of hustle and bustle. And Jesus calls, as he, as he says this, he's calling not just his disciples, but the crowds. So he's calling everybody to come and hear what he's about to say. And so the message is truly for everyone. But we need to think about what's the context of this, right? So I want to go back to verse 31 to 33 and and just read this account, and then we'll kind of understand the context in which Jesus says this. It's, Then he, that's Jesus, began to teach them that it was necessary for the Son of Man to suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests and scribes, be killed and rise after three days. He spoke openly about this. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning around and looking at the disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. It's a remarkable thing here as Jesus reveals to his disciples that he will suffer, that he will die, that he will rise three days after. Peter's like, no way, that's not happening. Now, I'm sure Peter had the best of intentions. You know, I mean, he, uh, you know, loved Jesus and he was his disciple and you know he and he just didn't want to think about that but you know also for peter peter was imposing on jesus his own personal view and that's something that we can do today too we kind of push on the lord the image that we want him to be and peter had an image of him and what he was going to do and he wasn't going to hear any different than that (laughs) he didn't understand why Jesus had come at that time. Of course, they were expecting their Messiah and Jesus is standing before them. Peter had just given him this amazing confession and Jesus talks about building his church and now he's talking about his death. I'm sure it was very confusing to Peter. Peter had an image in his mind that no, this one is going to come. He's going to get rid of Rome. He's going to push the enemies out of Israel. He's going to reestablish the throne of David. This is Israel's time. We're going back on top. Woo! That's what they wanted. That's what they were looking for. 
And Jesus says, no, I'm actually going to die. and But I'm going to rise in three days. It's almost like he missed that part. Peter, I mean, you know. He's focusing on this thing. and he So he rebukes the Lord. Very unusual, especially in these days, for the student to rebuke the teacher. I mean, discipleship in these days, what Jesus was doing with his disciples was very common amongst Jewish rabbis. In fact, that's how you learn, because they didn't really have like big formal Bible schools like we had today. What would happen is a teacher, a rabbi of, of note and repute would gather around disciples, and they would kind of live with him, and they would just be taught by him every day. And that's what Jesus is doing here. Very unusual that a student would disrespect his teacher to, to challenge him like Peter, Peter does. But nonetheless, he does it. And the amazing thing here is that Jesus doesn't take that. He rebukes Peter right back. Even going so far as to call him Satan. Now it's interesting that the name Satan, it literally means adversary. That's what it means. It means one who opposes. And so Satan is the great adversary of God. He opposes God in every step. And so Peter, in in rebuking Jesus and saying, you're not going to die, is actually on the side of the great opposer of God. That's what Jesus means by that. You're opposing me. And you're thinking men's thoughts and not God's thoughts. The human agenda is different than the agenda of God. You don't understand what you're saying, Peter. And so Peter gets a stern rebuke by Jesus. And so as we think of this passage this morning, we might think of that tension between the agenda of man and the agenda of God, which is often at odds and is often very different in its perception. And even for these disciples, they didn't under, truly understand what Jesus was up to. And I'm not here pointing fingers at them. I'm sure had I been there, I would have been the same way. I mean, they were, they were confused and they were learning. But that's the background. And now Jesus brings this amazing statement. So he rebukes Peter and then he says, okay, I'll come, come gather around me, everybody. I got something important to tell you. And so the, the basis of what he's about to say is based on this tension between the agenda of man and the agenda of God. So all the people come around, you know, all the crowds come around him. And the first thing he says to them in verse 34 is that if, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. A remarkable statement. Now, remember, at this time, I mean, these people would have been very familiar with the Roman cross because Rome, you know, executed people on it all the time. Uh, however, Jesus had not gone to the cross, and they didn't understand that he would die on the cross at this point. And so it would be a very strange thing for him indeed to say that, look, if you want to follow me, if you want to be my disciple, if you have that desire in your heart, then you've got to deny yourself and take up your cross to follow me. Very strange illustration, but very poignant, especially for us who understand now the cross and what it meant and the first thing he says, you've got to deny yourself. You know, so many people today in this world say, well, I can't change because this is who I am. This is, this is the way I am. This is uh, my lifestyle. I've chosen it. Or I was born this way and I can't possibly change. And yet Jesus says, you cannot follow him unless you deny yourself. That argument won't, won't fly with God. <laughs> we can't say, well, I'd be denying myself if I did. I'd be not denying who I really am. Jesus says, deny yourself. Deny yourself. We have to say no to ourselves and yes to God. And self-denial is not natural for the human heart. That's not what we do. <laughs> we are self-affirming. <laughs> you know, we're not about denying ourselves. And yet Jesus calls us to look, if you want to follow me, you've got to first deny yourself. You know, it costs something to follow Jesus. We're going to see that through here. It's not a, a light decision, you know. 
It costs something. And the first thing is self-denial. We have to be able to come to the end of ourselves. And I was going to read this quote a little later on, but I think I'll do it now, uh, about George Mueller. Uh, does anybody know who George Mueller was? Okay, he was, he lived in the 1800s. He ran orphanages in the UK and he served thousands of children. Amazing stories of the Lord's provision. And someone asked George Mueller about, you know, the success of his ministry. And it was successful in that he totally relied on the Lord. And the Lord just did incredible miracles through that man as he fed many children. And says, when a man asked George Mueller about the secret of his service, Mueller responded. He says, there was a day when I died. I utterly died. I died to George Mueller, his opinions, preferences, tastes, and will. I died to the world, its approval or its censure. I died to the approval or blame even of my brethren and friends. And since then, I have studied to show myself approved only to God. That's (laughs) self-denial. Dying to ourself, right? To our desires, our dreams, our wishes, our will, our way. You must deny yourself, Jesus says. And you must take up. Your cross. What does it mean to take up the cross? Well, that's true death to the self, you know. As we think of Jesus on that cross, he dies there. The cross represents death. And in a very tragic way. The cross was a horrible thing. These people would have feared it. I would have had I been alive in those days. The cruelty of it. And you know, the Romans had a practice. In fact, I read an account of, uh, it was actually a non-Christian account of a group of people who were ordered to crucify their friend by the Romans. And you had to do it or you'd be crucified. And they would nail you to that piece of wood and they'd make you actually drag it through the town before they propped you up on it. And the reason they did that is so that you would be totally shamed and humiliated on the way to your death. You know, to take up your cross was not just simply to be killed on it, but to also carry it through the town so that everybody could mock you, laugh at you, ridicule you, and shame you. And so when Jesus says to us to take up our cross, not only is it a a self-denial, a death to self, it is also a willingness to take up shame for the name of Christ. It's a willingness to be paraded in front of people and say, aha, look at him, he's associated with that. There's there's a whole lot of meaning here for us. And and the starting point, if we're going to follow Jesus, if we're going to be his disciples, we've got to deny ourselves, we've got to take up our cross, there's no other way. And you know what? The cross, I'm sorry to say, I don't mean to offend anybody, our cross is not the hardships we face in life, friends. It's not. Cross is total death to self, total denial, and bearing the shame of Christ. It's not, I have a cold today, and that's my cross to bear. It's not that I have a difficult person in my life. No, that's just life. Our cross is a total identification with Christ and a willingness to die for Him and to suffer with Him. That's what it is. Nothing less than that. And then he goes on in verse 35. He says, For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. You know, saving our life is very natural for us. Obviously, self-preservation is generally what we do. I mean, you know, that's that's what we do. You know, we try to take the safe route. You know, there's some extreme sports people out there who like to jump out of perfectly functioning airplanes. And, uh, you know, uh, I don't understand that. (laughs) You know, I've been invited to go skydiving before and it's like, nope, no way. The only reason I'm, you know, I remember once too, I was thinking, when I was in the military, I was thinking of joining the airborne division, you know, which is the parachuting guys. And I'm like, why would I jump out of a perfectly functioning aircraft? I mean, if it was broken, maybe, right? (laughs) There's extreme people that take risks, but generally we we preserve our life, right? That's what we do. 
We want to hang on to it. It's natural. Our actions are, are in this direction. And yet we, we love hero stories, don't we? We, lo- we love redemption stories. You know, when you think of movies and books, I mean, everybody loves a good hero story, you know, somebody who's willing to risk it all for others. You know, we read of the accounts of the wars that have gone on, and we read the stories of heroes, of people who laid down their life for others, and we just, yeah, that's, that's right, that's good, you know. But we take the safe route, don't we, generally speaking? Hero stories. And, and Jesus says, if you want to save your life, you will lose it. But if you lose it for my sake and the Gospels, you will actually gain it. It's just the opposite of what we think. The word for life here, by the way, is used throughout this passage, sometimes translated soul. It comes from psyche. It means the true you. It's not just your, your physical life here. It's much deeper than that. It's your soul. It's your life. It's the true you. It's your essence of who you are. And you know, Jesus says, look, if you try to save that in this life, in other words, if you try to save it by... Avoiding me in the gospel, you will lose it. He's speaking here of condemnation. He's speaking here of the the sad truth that there's a lost eternity ahead for those who reject Christ. There is hell. We don't like to talk about it. If people try to hang on to their life and to save it, they will actually lose it. But if they lay it down for Christ, it doesn't necessarily mean to to die physically. It just means that we surrender here. This is self-denial. This is the cross in my life where I say, Lord, from here on, it's like George Mueller. It's like the Apostle Paul who would say, I die daily in his life. Every day he realized that there's this battle between the old nature and the new. And so I want to die to myself every day that I might live for Christ every day. Always caring about, he said, in this body, the dying of Christ. Right? The death to self. If we want to save it, we will lose it. But if we lose it, we will actually save it for Jesus and the gospel. You know, Christ... Uh, is worthy of our life. And so is his gospel. You know, God has a gospel agenda for this world. He's on mission, you know. It's not that he wants just people to come and be saved and enjoy the blessings of that, which is all true. But he also has a mission. He wants this world evangelized. He calls us on gospel mission with him to share good news. They're both so important. But we love, you know, the hero and redemption stories. Now, pardon me, who has seen the original Star Wars movie, the first one? Back in the late 70s, okay? So in that movie, okay, I just want to give you an example here. In that movie, the the evil character in that movie was Darth Vader. You know, horrible, evil, wicked, dark, nasty person, right? And the the hero of the movie is Luke Skywalker. The young, the innocent, the guy who's out there to save the world. And at the end of the movie, as he's trying to save his father and pull him back to the light, right, from the darkness... He finally breaks through and Darth Vader actually sacrifices and, and is killed in the process. And, and, and as Luke is there, as he's dying, you know, he, he confesses that Luke has saved him because he finally realized the darkness and then switched back to the light. So it's one of these hero stories, right, where you actually lose your life in order to save it. And that's what Jesus is talking about, right? There's a, a way that seems right to a person, but the end is death. We can go through this life trying to play it safe, but in the end we'll actually lose everything. That's what Jesus is talking about. We need to be willing to deny ourselves and take up our cross and in so doing we will actually find that we will gain eternal life well he goes on he goes on in verse 36 to 37 he says for what does it benefit someone to gain the whole world and yet lose his life or his soul what can anyone give in exchange 
for his soul. What is our soul worth anyway? You know, like if we could put a value on it, you know, (laughs) that's right. Very good, Carolyn. Yeah. She said Jesus death, right? What do we want in this life anyway? You know, so many people are chasing after wealth and riches and power and glory, and that might seem strange to you, and yet it is very true for people. That's what drives them. And, you know, that's one thing I love here about the Maritimes is that people are generally more contented than they are in other parts of the nation, contented with simpler things. You know, my younger brother, he's he's like that. He's a very different individual, but he's a very content individual. Like, he has nothing in this life. He doesn't care. You know, I I admire that about him, you know. He doesn't care if he has the latest and greatest of everything. He's just happy in life. No. You know, there was one of the emperors of Rome, Lucius. Let me read this. Septimus Severus. (laughs) Septimus Severus was emperor of Rome, I think from around the 190s to 211 when he died. So just under 20 years he was the emperor of Rome. And I mean... He had a massive building program. He persecuted Christians, you know. And, of course, the Roman emperors, these guys were, were demigods. I mean, they were, they held the power of life and death. They were worshipped as God. They had temples built to them. You know, people like Herod, you know, would, he was, he was trying to save his life. So he would, he would try to, you know, cozy up to the Romans and build temples for the emperor and engage in emperor worship because that made the emperor feel good about you, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but here's what he said uh, towards the end of his life. He, he died of a sickness in 211. He said this, I have been everything and everything is nothing as the most powerful man in the known world at the time. I have been everything and everything is nothing. Listen to this. A little urn will contain all that remains of one for whom the whole world was too little. Those were his dying words. He wanted the world. And he realized he would die soon. His body would be burnt and his ashes put in a little cup. I have been everything and everything is nothing. All that will be left is a little cup of ashes for one the world was not enough. This is the sad testimony of so many trying to save their life, trying to value the things of this life more than the eternal. There's another uh, situation here where a, a man, uh, you know, asks a therapist, asks his client to list all the good things about his life in one column and all the bad in the other, right? He's trying to work with this guy. So list all the good things in your life here, list all the bad things there. <laughs> Under the good column, he wrote, professionally successful, well off, good health, stable marriage, kids successfully launched in adult life, nice house, great heart, car as many holidays as I want. So, you know, I mean, it sounds like he's got it all, right? Under the bad column, he wrote just one thing. I feel unhappy most of the time. Right? The material wealth can't buy us anything, and yet people chase after it. The wealthy know this. You know, Solomon would know this. King Solomon, right? He had a thousand wives. He had the entire kingdom. I mean, he was so wealthy that silver was like rocks in the street considered of no value at all because gold was so common. And the end, what does he say? Vanity. <laughs> Everything is vanity and a chasing after the wind. There's no purpose. There's no meaning apart from the Lord. There's nothing that can be given to secure our eternal soul. There is no cost. There is no price. There's nothing that we can give in exchange for it. There is no value that we can put on it. As Carolyn mentioned, what is it worth to God? Enough that they sent his son into this world to die for us. That's what it means to God. 
It's worth the Son of God dying on the cross to save us, to give us a way home. There's nothing we can give in exchange for our soul. There's nothing that can be compared in this life. We can gain the entire world, and what does it benefit? Nothing. It doesn't bring happiness. It doesn't bring joy. And the reality is we're all going to die. I'm sorry to, you know, be the bearer of bad news, right? But unless the Lord returns uh, first, we're going to go to the grave. That's right, of course. There's no one that escapes death in this world, right? There's nobody that can cheat it. It is universal. And so what can we gain the whole world for and yet you lose our life? What can we give in exchange for eternity? A few short years on this world compared to eternity. There's no exchange. Well, in verse 38, he says, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. You know, if we fail to deny ourselves, if we fail to take up our cross and choose Christ, we will lose everything. The reality is, it's pride, it's fear, it's shame which prevents us from choosing Christ. We're proud in ourselves. We're self-sufficient. We don't need anyone. Or we're just totally ashamed of that Galilean. And Christians in general, we don't want to be associated with them because we're, we're so fearful of the the commentary of man. That was true for me when I was younger. You know, I was very afraid of, I was very ashamed because I didn't want to, you know, face the music as it were. I didn't want to listen to people mocking me. I admit that. I, you know, <laughs> as a Christian, I was ashamed and I struggled with that. I don't anymore. Uh, but it took most of my life, right up until 2012, I would say, till I finally got a hold of that. And the Lord dealt with me in many ways to drive that out of me. But, you know, Jesus says, if you're ashamed... If you're ashamed, then I'm going to be ashamed when I come back in my power and my glory. And this is a sinful and wicked generation in which we live, just as it was then. It's never changed. You know, I used to think when I was younger that, oh, you know, we have good times ahead. I mean, man, you know, we live in a great country, and our government is wonderful, and we're democratic, and we're this and we're that. And I've come to see now <laughs> that those hopes are, are misplaced. There is no hope in government. Our society is getting more evil all the time. It's more wicked. You know, we can think of what happened in New York State this past week, but the reality is, if you're familiar with New York's abortion law, that's already been true in Canada for the last 35 years. There is no abortion law in Canada. None whatsoever. You can do anything for any reason in this country. We are the, one of the most wicked societies on the face of the planet. I, I'm sorry to shock you with that, but that is the truth of the matter. We live in an adulterous and sinful generation, and we don't want to be ashamed of Christ, and people are. The reality is if we want to follow Jesus, friends, it's going to cost us something. It'll cost us everything. It'll cost me saying no to myself and yes to God. I will deny myself. I will take up my cross. I will follow him. That's what it means. There's no other way to describe a rejection than shame, and that's what drives a lot of people. They're just ashamed and they're afraid. They're so interested in the opinions of others and people. Who the heck cares? Mm -hmm. You know, I remember talking to to uh, Emmerine's husband before he passed here, Fern. Last visit I had with him. And I said to him, I said, Fern, are you trying to tell me? And I said it to him just like this. Are you trying to tell me that you were over there at that church in Blues Mills for like 20 years? Hearing the gospel week by week and you never have been saved? He says, well, that's right, Mark. I said, well, why not? He says, well, I'm afraid of what my family will think of me. Now, this is a man, right, who's in his 70s. That's what he said to me. I'm afraid of what my family will think of me. 
I said, Fern, who cares what they think, man? We're talking about eternal life. We're talking about eternity. And you're willing to trade eternity for what mortals think? But this is the way we are as people, right? We're not to fear man, the Bible says, right? Don't fear man. The worst he can do is put you, put you to death in this life. Fear God, who has the power to not only kill the body, but to put the soul in hell. This is the one whom we should fear, right? These are serious matters. Let us not choose the fear of man over the fear of God. If we want to follow Christ, it'll cost us everything. That is God's agenda, by the way. You know, we can't come to God on our own terms. And so often we, as Christians, you know, we come to the faith and we want what Jesus offers in terms of his benefits, but we don't want the associated risks (laughs) that come with it, right? We want to save Christianity. By the way, I'm not pointing fingers at anybody. The fingers point here. This is I'm describing most of my life. I have played it safe. I confess that to you. Um, but you know, uh, the Lord had to do some things in my heart, and eventually, in 2012, He finally drove that out when my daughter left her husband, and I didn't care anymore after that, because I finally realized how serious life was, and what is at stake. It's eternal things. Let them mock and laugh. Who cares? It means nothing. If we want to follow Jesus, it will cost us everything. This is God's agenda. He calls us to lay down our life, but in return, we receive eternal life, <laughs> the joy of the Lord, the blessing of God, you know, it's such a good life, why would anybody not want it, you know, Alan and I were talking on Thursday night, and we're just talking about, you know, how the world just seems to be turning against Christians lately, and, and more and more in our society, it's just everything's negative about Christians, you know, and and uh, there was uh, one of the reporters in the States, I think with CNN last week, said that biblical morality is disgusting. You know, comments like that are becoming very common. And I said to Alan, you know, what is it, you know, about the teachings of Christ that is so offensive? Is it the fact that we are to love everyone (laughs) and to be kind and compassionate? I mean, if people, if the world were actually live out the example of Christ and live out his teachings, what would we see? No more war. No more fighting. No more hungry people. I'll tell you where they're offended. They're offended because Jesus calls us out that we have to deny ourselves and we have to take up our cross. Death to self. Because the Bible says, all have sinned and come short of God's glory. And this is the condemnation. We are sinners before a holy God, no matter how good we think we are. And we stand condemned and we must be saved. And this is God's agenda. And so Jesus calls it out here and he he puts it right in front of us. If you're ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, if you try to save your life, if you try to play it safe, if you try to cozy up to the man to avoid me, you will lose it all. But if you will take up your cross and follow me, you will gain everything in return. This is God's agenda. Jesus is coming back. He says when he comes in the glory of his father with the holy angels, we know he's coming as judge, friends. He's coming as judge, and for all those who will stand before him like Herod the Great and all the dictators of this world and all the men who thought they were so amazing and wonderful will stand before Jesus, and they will stand condemned because they chose to be play it safe instead of submitting to him. And those like Herod who tried to cozy up to the Roman Empire at the expense of his own life will find that they have made a very poor decision indeed. What, what does it cost? Everything. It costs everything to follow Jesus. Let us, if you're here this morning and you've never come to this point, I pray that you do. You need to. 
You can't just say, well, I'll, I'll kind of believe in Jesus and follow Him at a distance and just play it safe. Nope. <laughs> That's not what he, he calls for. We have to surrender to Him. We have to submit to Him. We have to repent and ask Jesus to forgive us. And for those of us as Christians, you know, let us not weigh the opinions of men more than the opinions of God. Let's not be ashamed. We have nothing to be ashamed of. Why would, we, why would I be ashamed of Jesus? What is there about Him that's shameworthy? Nothing. He's wonderful. He's amazing. <laughs> and not only was he, you know, such a, an amazing, you know, moral teacher, as people like to say, but he, he challenged the very power of Rome. He challenged the, the religious leaders of his day. He, he laid it down with a radical new way in him. Let's, what do, what do we need to surrender in our lives as Christians? What do we need to turn over control of? What are we hanging on to that needs to be given over to him? You know, and, and for us as Christians too, right? Like Jesus says, right? For me and the gospel. And, and for as Christians, you know, we have a responsibility there to be sharing the good news with our friends and neighbors. What would the Lord have me to do to join him in his gospel work? So let's count the cost. And let's not be like Peter who imposed something on Jesus that wasn't part of who he truly was. Let's not have a false image of him that we impose on him, but rather let's submit to his authority and give our hearts completely to him in full surrender. Father, how we thank you this morning for your son and for who he is. Lord, his words are sharp at times, Lord. They pierce and uh, they're challenging, oh God. And yet, Father, we thank you that he came into this world, Lord, not to seek his own benefit, Lord, but to lay down his own life upon the cross for all of us, Lord, that we might have forgiveness and peace with you. We thank you that he's coming again. We thank you he's coming as judge, O God, and as ruler. And Father, how we pray that you would work in our hearts this morning, Lord, for anyone here this morning who has never come to know you as their Savior, Father, we just pray that you would uh, just uh, burden their hearts, O God. Help them to see the value of the eternal soul of man compared with the shortness of this life. Father, our lives are truly a vapor. They're here today and gone tomorrow. Life passes so quickly. But Lord, you are eternal. And we stand, Lord, on the brink of eternity. One heartbeat away from eternity with you. So Lord, work in our hearts. Lord, for those of us that know you, Father, give us a renewed vision today of service to you, Lord. A renewed surrender, O God. And, Lord, a willingness to uh, bear reproach for your name and not to uh, consider the opinions of men all around us. Father, we ask for your blessing today. We ask for your help. Lord, you know that we're a child of weakness, child of children of dust. Lord, we need the strength of your spirit in our hearts. Lord, we need the work of God upon us. Lord, we cannot do these things in our own strength, and nor do we want to. But, Father, we pray that you would just stir us up. And that, Lord, you would help us to love you and to love one another. Lord, we ask your blessing on this day. Father, we thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 The Lord bless you.